I'm Afshin Ratansi and welcome back to Going Underground, broadcasting all around the world from Dubai in the UAE. Tomorrow will be 12 years to the day since the US, UK and France began their bombardment of Libya using UN Security Council Resolution 1973 as justification. And within months, Africa's richest per capita nation was devastated. Its leader, Muammar Gaddafi, brutally assassinated thanks to NATO aerial bombardment. Today, Libya is at best a failed state. Joining me today from Munich, Germany, the former official spokesperson for the late Muammar Gaddafi, Dr. Musa Ibrahim. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Musa, for coming back on. Before we get to the future, um, I suppose I have to ask you what, uh, uh, what your reflections are 12 years on and uh, remind us of your role uh, as you tried to, uh, as you see it, uh, stop the catastrophe. Thank you, Afshin, for having me here again on your excellent uh, show. Of course, tomorrow marks 12 years after the NATO attack, violent and aggressive attack against my country that went on for eight months in which tens of thousands of Libyans, civilian and military personnel died. The country lays in ruins. Uh, all sectors of the economy and society are devastated. Libya is a failed state and its neighbors are also feeling the consequences of such a military intervention. We spoke to the whole world, to the international community before the attack for weeks. I personally, as the spokesperson for the Libyan government, suggested many peaceful and real on the ground solutions to the uh, international community and the United Nations. We were never taken seriously we were ridiculed and attack, attacked in the mainstream media and the centers of Western power. Uh, Libyans actually heeded the call and many uh, tribal conferences were held before NATO's attack. Many uh, Libyan uh, societal uh, meetings and delegations were moving all around the country trying to find a solution to the very small, as a matter of fact, uh, civil conflict, if we can call it that, that took place in very small pockets uh, of the Libyan land. But the lies and the falsehood of the international mainstream media... Well, let me just get to a lie that you would say was a lie. Because, I mean, there was Francis Fukuyama, that academic. There was a National Endowment for Democracies, uh, intellectuals. And there's a, the ICC chief prosecutor, Louis Moreno Ocampo, former now, he, uh, he was saying, and this was uh, amplified by your mainstream media, we, he, paraphrasing it, he basically said, we have information, there was a policy to rape in Libya, those who were against it apparently, uh, the, apparently Gaddafi used it to uh, punish people. And I know Amnesty International came out against that ICC uh, prosecutor's uh, quote, but that's the kind of thing that, uh, well, you were involved in is what was going around the mainstream media, a regime that used rape. People are much more intelligent than that. Libya now, let's assume it's the scene of the crime, has been for 12 years under, under total control of the West. All of its institutions, archives, documents, TVs, uh, streets, cities and villages have been under total control of the UN. Why haven't they, in 12 years, found any evidence for the charges that 
accused us of not just rape, they accused us of killing 10,000 civilians within five days of the start of the trouble. They accused us of raping 8,000 Libyan women. Ridiculous. They accused us of flattening whole neighborhoods in Tripoli with air raids in the first week. They accused us of importing more than 20,000 African mercenaries into the country. We are not supernatural magicians, Afshin. If these crimes on this scale occurred, in 12 years, they would have found the victims, their families, the streets in which these crimes were uh, taking place. And Libya is a very uh, tribal, very Islamic, very Arab society. People are very linked to each other. They are all cousins and friends and neighbors. You can never commit such horrendous crimes in the first place, let alone hide them and hide the evidence for 12 years. My understanding is even without evidence, the journalists who are amplifying those stories have all won awards for their work in amplifying what you say are, uh, in fact, complete utter lies. So what happened to the elections? I mean, Saif Gaddafi, who you know, came down from his mountain uh, headquarters and suddenly the elections that were due to be held suddenly don't happen. And uh, everyone, again, in mainstream media was saying yeah. there's a process, everything's going to be okay. I don't know whether that meant install a Western puppet. Uh, but Saif Gaddafi's, just by his presence, seemed to have stopped the uh, elections, in quotes. Yeah, think of this, consider it. The international community, of course, it's the West that is the international community. They said that they were 100% ready to hold free and democratic elections in Libya almost three years ago. Everything was in place. The UN was, you know, had its appointee in the country. And suddenly, Saif al-Islam, of course, with bravery and courage and with the support of Libyan people, he that's Muammar Gaddafi's uh, son, uh, if, in case people don't know. That's Saif al-Islam, yeah, Saif al-Islam Gaddafi, uh, Gaddafi Jr. He went to the official election place, presented his formal papers, registered just as any presidential uh, candidate. This should have been welcome as a good, progressive, peaceful step towards including all sectors of Libyan society and ending any possibility of armed conflict. On the contrary, immediately the American ambassador in Libya and the British ambassador, um, they said, oh, there are now complications in regards to who can uh, present themselves to be the president of Libya. And we need to reconsider the whole process to make sure that no, there are no complications in the future. Who are you to decide the future of Libya? And who are you as a foreign ambassador to decide who the Libyan people can choose? You see, this take us back to the very idea of Sheen. What the West wants in Libya is chaos and maintenance of this chaos. They want uh, for a year some military conflict in some Libyan cities, then for another year some fake uh, elections done for the parliament or for the president, and then for another year some tribal conflict on the borders with Niger or Chad, and then some smuggling, smuggling of African workers uh, to be sold as slaves on the coastal uh, city cities of Libya, and they change the game, like the face of the game, not the game, every year. And when they wanted the elections three years ago, 
this was just another phase that they wanted to lengthen and therefore maintain chaos in Libya. Saif al-Islam, Gaddafi, would have ended this game completely and would have won with a landslide the elections in Libya. Libyans know that. Libya, uh, Libyans talk to each other. That we meet with our enemies in Libya. They are not our enemies anymore. From 2011, we have negotiations, dialogue. We rely on our religion, on our uh, common identity, on our history of jihad against the invaders from outside. And the West is scared of this. The West is scared of our common identity, common goals, common interests, and works very hard, just like it did in Iraq, uh, like it did in, uh, in Syria, like it did in Afghanistan, like it's trying to do in many other countries. And Safer Islam is not an individual. He is a movement, and he is... He represents the where, unity of where the country. Is he? I mean, that's why. Where, where is he in any case? I mean, I should say, I mean, I remember him in London when he was um, kind of with the, the neoliberal elites in British society. Does he still support the things you were just expressing there, the old ideas of his uh, father, uh, rather than uh, uh, he could easily just become another American puppet? And where is he? Why can't he come on this program? Well, yeah, for, I, I will give you this. For the international media, Saif al-Islam is not there. You can't really uh, interview him at the moment, but he is planning to talk to the Libyan people directly through uh, whatever means he, he uh, deems uh, appropriate. But Saif al-Islam is not in hiding. Every single Libyan tribe, and I mean it, even the tribes that were his enemies in 2011, every single Libyan city, all of them, they have met and are still meeting with Saif al-Islam on daily basis. On daily basis, they have dialogue, they have negotiations, they are writing down uh, projects and ideas, and they are in total agreement about the future of the, of the country. Many of them actually are supporting Saif al-Islam for the president of Libya. Many don't, many don't, and that's fine. That's very fine by Saif, very fine by all Libyans, because what we want is an inclusive, political system that is independent of foreign intervention, not just in Libya, but in Africa. Let's remember, Afshin, this is uh, about Africa, not just about Libya. Well, the UN envoy Abdoulaye Batali, a Senegalese uh, gentleman, he uh, seemed to accept his presidential nomination before the elections were uh, uh, stopped. Who is this you? an envoy, because he was shown recently, uh, I think he was showing it, a picture of himself shaking hands with the CIA asset Khalifa Haftar, who many in so-called mainstream media call <coughs> a Russian asset, but of course he famously worked at the CIA, for the CIA. So uh, uh, what do you think of this UN envoy who is wandering around your country talking about uh, the future of your country? He's just a number, Afshin. He is the eighth UN representative in Libya. They come and go. Imagine eight representatives in 12 years. The he doesn't work for the CIA, it. though. No, he doesn't work. He's a Senegalese African uh, politician. I personally do not upload his politics, his uh, liberal leanings, and uh, his love for the Western values. I think he is detached from the African continent and detached from the real struggles of the African nations. And if you actually read about his uh, like history and politics, 
you don't see him fighting for the independence of Africa or for the sovereignty of African nations. So for me, he is just another figure. He's the eighth, and they come and go because they use them. They use them, they come, they present solutions, fake solutions. They just make sure that the game of chaos is maintained, and they make them sometimes Americans, like Stephanie Williams, sometimes Arabs, like Ghassan Salama, sometimes African, like uh, Batili, sometimes Europeans. The idea is, as the West is the controller of the whole scene, they work very hard to keep things going so people cannot stop and cancel this conspiracy against the country, and people are not aware and able to change the key points of the game. Dr. Musa Ibrahim, I'll stop you there. More from the late Muammar Gaddafi's former spokesperson after this break. Welcome back to Going Underground. I'm still here with Libya's former information minister and official spokesperson for the late Muammar Gaddafi, Dr. Musa Ibrahim. Tell me about Haftar, because the Wall Street Journal, the Murdoch paper, reported that uh, Biden's CIA boss Bill Burns more or less ordered Haftar to expel the Russian Wagner Group, which is, of course, fighting in Ukraine, from Libya. What, what is Haftar's rule, role and have the Russians uh, been totally uh, hoodwinked by uh, Haftar? Haftar is, uh, was and is uh, a CIA asset. He is um, just playing his part of what is planned for the country, which is to keep it divided uh, and keep it uh, like an easy prey for Western powers. He um, is a little bit more intelligent uh, and a little bit more popular in the east of the country than other politicians and generals, uh, because he was a friend and a comrade of Gaddafi for decades. Then he switched sides um, towards the, uh, the late 80s. So he is a little bit more complicated, but certainly... Can he be brought round? Because asset. surely, if he came round to the idea of the tribes, of safe Gaddafi, and I should say NATO polling said uh, safe Gaddafi isn't uh, as popular as you maintain, could he be brought round? Would he be useful in this struggle for a truly independent, sovereign Libya? Well, the, the, the popular base that Haftar has in the east of the country is actually a patriotic base that I myself trust. They just saw Haftar as a reality, and they had to deal with him because of that. He had the power, he had the weapons that were provided to him by the West. He had the money that was provided to him by the Americans. So they dealt with this reality, and they were able, indeed, to uh, clean, if you like, the east part of the country from Islamic terrorism. I think the Wagner forces later on played a role because the West allowed different regional and international powers to intervene in the country to increase the chaos. So the Turkish uh, military has a presence in Libya, the Egyptian military, the Italian, the French, uh, and some African countries as well they have different levels of, uh, of, of uh, presence in the country. But then when the Ukraine issue came up, uh, the West changed its discourse and started demanding that any Wagner groups should leave uh, the country. And this put Haftar in a tight corner because he had his dealings with the French, with, with, with these groups as well. And now he has to decide, and I believe 
um, because he is originally a CIA asset, he will decide to side with the Americans and the West. What happens to a Libyan official today if they don't support NATO policy as regards the war against Russia through Ukraine? Oh, we don't have to guess very much here. The um, Western ambassadors, especially the American ambassador, Richard Norland, and uh, the British uh, ambassador, they have been talking to Libyan officials, and they have been warning everyone that they should get in line and should support uh, the West's uh, efforts against uh, Russia. As a matter of fact, if you listen to the statements issued by Libyan politicians from left and right, east and west, you can hear fear in their voices, and you can see how scripted their statements are, uh, and they are highlighting their support for Ukraine and um, uh, highlighting the, Libya's financial support, not just moral support, but financial support for, and logistical support. Dbeiba, the uh, president of the uh, unity government, who was appointed by the West, of course, uh, he uh, actually went further than that and uh, said himself that they are sending help and logistics and uh, financial support to the Ukrainian uh, people. So, well, more uh, the more than the victims changing... of the earthquake in Turkey or in Syria, who are obviously sanctioned, so Syria, or our and to brother, Palestinians, our brothers in Palestine, or our brothers in Africa, and uh, our borders, we have people in trouble in Egypt and Chad and Niger and Sudan. These are our neighbors. Maybe Ukraine is near Libya. Is. Who knows? Um, uh, I'll get to the money proper in a, in a moment, but the Nord Stream attack, when you heard about uh, the, uh, well, Seymour Hersh saying that Joe Biden, Anthony Blinken, Victoria Newland, Jake Sullivan yeah. uh, destroyed it. You believe that was, uh, in a sense, the Libya playbook being uh, played out in Europe, the kind of destruction uh, we saw, the greatest uh, infrastructure uh, uh, terrorist act in history? Absolutely. Introduce chaos and maintain it. This is the playbook of the West. They do this through different means, whether it's direct attack. So they attacked Libya, destroyed police stations, destroyed uh, military institutions, uh, infrastructure. Uh, so chaos is introduced, and then they maintain this chaos with political games. The same thing for, uh, for Ukraine, the same thing for Iraq and Syria, but the idea is the same. You have to shock people, you have to put fear in their hearts, you have to divide them, whether by their tribes or their religion or their geography or um, whatever you can find, study and find. That's why uh, academics in the West are actually in alliance and intellectuals with the uh, military power uh, of their of their country. So I believe that the Ukrainian thing was planned not a year ago, not two years ago, but long, long time ago, but certainly since 2014, in which the West supported the turmoil in Ukraine, supported the targeting of, of civilians in Ukraine, in the uh, east of Ukraine, knowing that this will divide the country, maybe will force Russia to intervene to protect uh, civilians, and then uh, the chaos is there. So what you do is you maintain it, you manage it. You know, of course, that many people will die. It doesn't matter. The idea is that then Ukraine will be fully under your, under your control, and you will push other countries like Russia to go into war, and then you have to punish them, and you get the world behind you. But except, I think they have failed. Except, yeah, I mean, it's slightly different to the Libya example where arguably the entire world left you 
alone because even in Washington they're talking about all is is flux and change and new deals yeah. and the breaking of US sanctions. I've got to ask you what you thought of uh, China brokering a peace deal or at least a diplomatic deal between the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and Iran, where I'm speaking to you in the UAE, they'd already had diplomatic uh, representation back uh, a few months uh, back. What does it mean for Libya that, uh, that the Arab world and the Islamic world is getting together? If you have the chance of reading my articles that I published in the last two, three years, you will see that I, time and again, talk about the building of a new world order in which the South, the global South, is counted and has a place. Uh, what is happening between Saudi Arabia and Iran under the uh, you know, supervision of China is no small deal. This is a shift of international power. This is not wishful thinking. I think uh, the East and the South are going to come together and build a new system. It will take time. It's not something easy. and some, so This is something gradual. I think there's a shift of power. Russia is playing a huge role in this, positive, I believe. China is also uh, important. Uh, China is working slowly and gradually, uh, trying not to antagonize the West as much as possible. Um, I think in the next few years, we are going to see Brazil, South Africa, Nigeria, possibly Egypt, and many other countries joining in in this shifting power structure. I'm hoping that this will allow the global South to free itself from the shackles of uh, global capitalism, help it develop itself, and find a maneuvering space away from the West. It's not a rosy picture. There's a lot of work to do. But I believe China, Saudi Arabia, and Iran, this moment is a major moment. It's very similar to you know the historical moments of the 20th century, like the Suez Canal, for example, which ended the British Empire. Certainly um, there's a queue to join the Shanghai Cooperation Organization under the aegis of the Communist Party of China. Just uh, given that it's the anniversary, uh, Sarkozy, the then president of France, may be facing jail for corruption in any case. But um, do you think that David Cameron and Obama will ever be uh, punished, uh, face any justice or punishment for their role in the destruction of your country? Well, I hope they will one day. What we are working on is to hold them responsible in front of our people and the people of Africa. Well, you'd have to, I need you'd have to capture viewers. them to do that, arguably. I mean, because they're all talking to the ICC. I mean, <laughs> no, the, absolutely. The money. I want to get on to the money just finally. Very briefly, the money. Hmm. Where is all hmm. the money? I mean, Biden uh, said about uh, oil fields in Syria, we're going to occupy the oil fields and we're going to take them from Syria. And they're stealing them right now. That's what the trucks are pictures of. Who's stealing the uh, Libya oil right now? Who's made all the cash? I don't know where the Libyan sovereign wealth fund's money is. I don't know where uh, the oil is, how the oil's getting out through the Mediterranean. Who, who's stealing yeah. it? The, um, Stephen, Stephanie Williams, she was the uh, UN uh, representative in Libya just before Batili. She herself admitted that 570 billion uh, dollars were lost from Libya uh, since uh, 2011. Most of it uh, through loss of oil revenue or through the theft of Libyan uh, assets or through what they call corruption, which is, of course, linked 
to uh, Western powers. Uh, Libyan wealth indeed uh, was smuggled away, especially uh, in the first few years after the invasion, uh, 12, 13, and 14. But now with the dealings with the official contracts that the Libyan government is signing with everyone, with uh, the, the states, the UK, France, and lastly, actually, just a month ago with Italy, uh, Libyan money uh, is leaving uh, Libyan pockets uh, without any uh, positive return for the Libyan people. Any uh, honest journalist who would go to Libyan cities, um, look at Libyan schools, hospitals, roads, uh, institutions of all kinds, they will see a country that has been uh, robbed, that had been uh, failed uh, in every aspect. Libya, Afshi, let's remember, was about to issue the uh, African golden dinar, the Afro, and was building the biggest gold reserve in the, in the continent to support the issuing of the golden dinar. Libya also is the founder of the African Union in 1999. Libya was also about to initiate the foundation of the African Natural Resources Organization and the African Unified Army. All of these projects were real, and they all uh, took the first steps toward uh, being uh, realized. Now, from a leader of the continent, Libya is in ruins, is devastated, and even when it tries to move forward, like what happened with Saif al-Islam, the West makes sure that this does not take place. They introduce more elements of the chaos. They make sure, like in the last few days, as we speak now, there are uh, um, skirmishes uh, in the capital of Libya and, and other cities, and a few citizens have already been killed. Um, and there are also tribalist uh, conflicts in, on the borders of Libya. And we know for sure that we have uh, the slave market of African workers is still going on. Less well, that's than what, before. that's what, uh, as famously people said, that's what a black president of the United States did, ironically, create slave markets back Absolutely. again in Africa. NATO nations obviously deny the uh, corruption, but just how many, say, CIA or MI6 officers do you think are currently in Libya, and why don't the tribal uh, groups, why can't they um, meet with them? Well, again, again, I'm going to quote for you uh, what the West themselves say. Stephanie Williams uh, said that they believe in Libya there are 10 foreign military bases. That's 10 foreign military bases. And 20,000 foreign uh, fighters in the country. That's a country of 7 million. This is a huge army. The foreign military bases belong mainly to Italy and France and Turkey, these three countries. But there is uh, a major intelligence uh, presence of the British and the Americans, more than direct military uh, presence. Uh, airplanes, war planes, land uh, uh, on, the la uh, on Libya every, every day in the city of Masrata and in Mitiga airport in, in Tripoli. So there is a substantial presence that no one in the Western media talks about, well, no one discusses. After 12 years of promising Libyans democracy, prosperity, and human rights. Well, as you know, they all deny uh, they're doing anything malign, and they're all just helping foster democracy in Libya. Dr. Yeah. Musa Ibrahim, thank you.
That's it for the show. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Monday when we'll be speaking to the architect of shock and awe, Dr. Harlan Ullman, on the 20th anniversary of the US and British invasion of Iraq. Going Underground will now be broadcasting twice a week, every week on Saturday and Monday, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, you can keep in touch via all our social media if it's not censored in your country and head to our channel, Going Underground TV on Rumble.com to watch new and old episodes of Going Underground. See you very soon.